All right, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Gene Panasanka here with Straight and Forward, uh, Straight Forward uh, Channel. All right, we're here with uh, Anna Paula Nascimento, who is the founder and principal of, uh, of Batanian Hasco Diamonds. All right, she has been uh, in business for quite some time. She has a beautiful uh, showroom uh, straight uh, in the middle of Manhattan in the Diamond District. And uh, and we're fortunate to have Anna here. She's doing a lot of traveling. As a matter of fact, she is just about to leave the country again on her next overseas trip. So we're fortunate to get her on the program. Anna, welcome here. Oh, very nice. Hi, Jean. It's a pleasure being your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for getting. Yeah, thanks for getting on the channel, Anna. So I, I've known you for a few years now, and I think that you are uh, an absolutely incredible uh, person. I mean, you have a pretty incredible life story. You know, being born in Brazil. You know, and then you know, at some point, moving to the U.S and being a successful entrepreneur and traveling the world and then seeing and meeting people and doing some business deals that again, uh, you know, most of the people can only hear about, you know, on television. So uh, as I said, uh, welcome to the channel. Please share with our audience, uh, you know, about your life, how you uh, got the business box, so to speak, how you decided to move to the US and get in business. Yes, Go absolutely. Ahead. Yes, hello everyone. Thanks so much for watching the show. Uh, I'm Ana Paula Nascimento. I was born originally in Brazil. I came to United States at the age of 17, pretty much on my own. Uh, I was an artist. I started painting when I was four years old. Wow. Uh, yeah, as I decided New York would be the ideal place to come. So it's been about 30 years, you know, not to tell my age. But so, so you came here at the age of five, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> almost. My God. But it's been a long, long road in New York. I love New York. I'm an entrepreneur by heart. Uh, my last trade was restaurant and clubs. I opened a restaurant in 1999. And was it in I Manhattan? Yeah, it was in Manhattan. It was on 58th and 1st Avenue. Some of you might even remember. It's called Nascimento Fine Dining. I do. I do. Yeah, that was a very nice place. Yeah. Yeah, with live entertainment. And this was back... Uh, 1999, prior to 9-11. So that energy in New York also had an impact on us. Um, but we're here, we're overcoming all the ups and downs. Uh, back then also I opened uh, one of the first lounges in New York. So my- And it was still on the east side, Anna? Yeah, on the east side, by Sutton Place and 58. Yeah, Sutton Place, absolutely. Look at me, and that, that's so, uh, it's pretty much across from the United Nations, right? Yeah, yeah, we had a beautiful clientele. They came from United Nations celebrating uh, peacemakers. So the, the energy and the vibration back then prior to- A, lot, a lot of international audience out there. And I guess with your knowledge of multiple foreign languages, obviously being born in Brazil, you know, you're fluent in the Portuguese. Uh, and then again, I personally had a chance to test your Italian and Spanish. Uh, I mean, they're, they're just absolutely incredible. Yeah, so I, I do compliment you for uh, for the knowledge of those languages and obviously had a chance to utilize them pretty extensively in dealing with all that uh, international clientele of the club and the restaurant, right? Yes, absolutely. Definitely helped and also the integration of my own family. My dad was originally from Italy and my mom, Brazilian, native Indian with African descendant. So I brought that culinary flair of fusion into the culture of uh, hospitality in New York, that went really well. Um, so New York being melting pot, you know, more than any other probably part of the US, you know, and uh, with so much 
Um, you know, uh, so many opportunities as far as the arts and the business. I mean, that was a perfect spot for you to kind of like put the flag, you know, and, and launch the business, right? After you settled down in New York over, you know, 30 years back. Yes, correct. And then also I, I had uh, displayed different artists on the wall of the restaurant. So that kind of brought yeah, the yeah, gallery. Like a layout. restaurant and the gallery at the same time, right? Yes, at the same time. And you feature local artists, international artists to give an opportunity to display the artwork in New York um, as a, as a gallery. Some them, and some of them, Anna, they, they were overseas, overseas painters, right, and artists. Yes, absolutely, right. from overseas. So it was really, so, really. So yeah, that, that was, again, let's put it in perspective. It was not just yesterday or, you know, the day before <laughs> yesterday. That was before the, the, the days of the internet when everybody got, got, got the iPhones and iPads, you know. So how else, you know, would somebody from, you know, Rural Brazil, for example, that may be a genius, but how else would he or she expose his or her paintings, you know, different kinds of arts, unless they had somebody like yourself as a great and trustful contact that would actually put their art pieces, you know, around the venues that you owned, you know, and really would exhibit them and allow the people to, to view them and hopefully acquire if they had any interest, right? Yes, absolutely. And use my database, my contacts that I've, uh, I've fondly and really kindly acquired in New York to attend the receptions so the artists can be exposed. That's how we met actually, right? At one of the receptions. What did the Greek consulate general, right? That I had the pleasure of meeting with you. I mean, really meeting with you in person and spending some time together because I know that you've been very active through the years, you know, at different places like Chambers of Commerce that was obviously pre-COVID. And meet each other, you know, and network as business owners and executives and, you know, professionals being CPAs, advisors you know, accountants. So that's how we met, yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Definitely before the pandemic, we, we really enjoyed it. We were able to do much more than what we're doing right now because we were able to be civilized with one another and go to events and uh, members only locations. And members all. only, yeah. You, you, you can't oh. get overnight. It takes many, many, many years of hard work and effort, you know, to get on those lists, to get invited. But once you do become part of that network, I mean, it really makes it so much easier to really meet new people and establish some kind of meaningful relationship that will work with you, uh, will do business with you, or if none of the above is the case, they'll make an introduction to somebody who can benefit from your advice and your services, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the heart of New York. I feel that you accumulate your network and you, you acquire your friends. There are also professionals, they're also working and raising their families and really being happy in New York. And we give each other that strength and that power. And uh, I do speak that this is definitely very sensitive momentum for everyone with the pandemic and things that we're not really sure what it is, what is the COVID, when is it over? But we're going through, we're just re-energizing ourselves, keeping our faith strong that New York is no place like nowhere else. There's no energy. It's always been very else. unique in terms of business, you know, yes. art, uh, you know, culinary experiences art galleries, I mean, just the list goes on and on and on and on. So we definitely need to come together, you know, as a city, as a state, as a nation, you know, to put behind whatever differences that people may have, whatever disagreements, you know, they may have, let's resolve them in a peaceful manner, you know, without destruction and let's understand that, hey, you know, living in peace, you know, will just benefit everybody. You know, people will have jobs, people will go back to the city as opposed to losing, you know, incredible number of uh, folks that left New York City just, uh, you know, over the last seven months. Uh, I guess the numbers are getting close now to 600,000 people that left the city, which is oh, wow. an incredible 
incredible number and it's like a domino effect. You know, somebody like yourself obviously have, uh, you know, tremendous online exposure, but uh, again, an awful lot of business uh, pre-COVID has been done by just food traffic. You know, you had people flying to the U.S. and New York is really the first stop for a mm -hmm. lot of those uh, travelers, you know, coming here as tourists or in business or visiting uh, friends and family in the U.S. Uh, and obviously being positioned uh, smack in the middle of uh, the Diamond District would give you a tremendous exposure to all that food traffic. So now the numbers are down dramatically. What would be your estimation, Anna Paula, how much down the traffic is uh, to, your, to your showroom at this time? Well, after we all came back, now the office is open, the exchange is open, you know, with my right. new business. I noticed that not much change has been done. Right. It should be maybe in some states or wherever you might be listening to this video information. Right. But in New York, it looks great. The place is pumping. You got the outside cafes booked back in the evenings. Um, Hell's Kitchen is a lot of people walking around. And my office being in the exchange in the Diamond District on right. West 47th Street, it's pretty much a very busy street. Well, I visited your place and I always, even before, you know, all that uh, public unrest, if you will, um, you always have an ultra, ultra, ultra safe place because of the multiple layers of additional securities. So besides regular NYPD, you guys, I believe you also have private security, right? That again, costs you money, but it's a money well spent because it gives you an extra comfort level knowing that very substantial investments that you and other owners, you know, uh, in a district, diamond district that you made, I mean, uh, those uh, values will be protected a lot better when you have that private security, correct? Oh yeah, definitely. New York, I feel the security uh, effort and uh, what the mayor and all the authorities are conducting, it's, um, we definitely need to understand that it's been a lot of work and they're putting a lot of effort and extra uh, officers, extra security, extra special teams. You got the squad, you got FBI, you got everybody on the block, feeling super protected. And inside the exchanges, we have our private uh, bodyguards and security of the exchanges right. and also conducting the COVID um, you know, testing, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Masks, yeah. it's good. Really, really, it, it's been a growth out of this pandemic that in the long run, it's going to be uh, amazing. We all come back somehow. Well, amen to that. And let's hope and pray that that's indeed going to be the case because it's just so much at stake for, for businesses, as we both know. And again, as a financial advisor, many of my clients are, you know, small business owners, and it's a domino effect, you know, the business rents the space. So the space is in a building. So whoever owns the building, if they lose the business, you know, business just goes belly up, you know, they, they shut the doors, you know, and if it's more than one business, which again, what we have seen over the last several months, then the building becomes half empty and uh, or more so. And yet the landlord, the business uh the owner of that property, they still need to deal with property taxes and still pay the utility bills and what have you. And the people which are really uh, catering to your business uh, from the direct catering of food, you know, to whatever kind of other vendors and merchants that are helping your business grow. I mean, they, they have to get out of business as well because like a domino effect chain reaction. So, uh, I mean, a lot of things that are obviously at stake 
And diamonds industry in New York, obviously it's a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar business. So uh, let's just hope that again, uh, you know, we're gonna have enough security going forward and that insanity with the defunding police will stop, you know, and we're gonna have, uh, again, uh, the officers, the, the, the police, uh, you know, teams that we need to protect uh, your and other businesses in the area and you guys, you can conduct business and more importantly, serve the, the customers because a lot of people, as you know, even local people, forget about, you know, people coming from out of state, but a lot of local people from Long Island, from New Jersey, you know, from Westchester, they're just not comfortable to say the least. Some of them, they're outright scared of coming to the city after they've seen, you know, a lot of those riots, you know, businesses destroyed and the people which have nothing to do with either side. They're just being attacked, you know, randomly. Um, and that's very unfortunate. But Anna, let's talk about great and positive things. I think that again, you, unlike uh, other people in the industry, you bring so much more value to uh, to your customers that really become uh, long-term clients, understanding you know, what you have been doing for them over time, over years sometimes. So uh, let's start with your uh, uh, gemological uh, you know, studies, experience you got in Antwerp, Belgium. So you wanna talk about that? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So, you know, going on the, the timing of my life, the, after the restaurant closed and the lounge closed, uh, I pretty much decided to learn gemology, the study of uh, diamonds and precious stones. Right. So I enrolled at GIA after many years of uh, working for it. So GIA is the Gemology Institute of America, which right. is located in the Diamond District. Right. On my office at this point. Right. And I did the course there and uh, being through the course and my interest would be mining rough diamonds in my right. long run. I learned that there was a school in Antwerp. Antwerp is a small town in Belgium. Well, it, it's, a, it's a very small town, but I mean, they do have a global recognition. I actually have had a chance of meeting with the mayor of Antwerp that had a great, uh, yeah, uh, the House of Flanders, if you know, it's uh, in, the, in the New York Times building, uh, 44th Street, right outside of Port Authority. Uh, so they have, uh, it's like a consulate and economic, uh, you know, uh, economic arm of, uh, of Belgian folks out there. And they had, uh, you know, the whole bunch of officials, including the mayor of Antwerp, and they've been talking about the things that, again, were, were tiny as far as the size, but the world recognition that they've been enjoying I mean, the traffic, all the naval traffic, all the ships, you know, it's it just absolutely, absolutely incredible. But you being a jeweler and artist and gemologist, so let's talk about the diamond aspect of that. Yes, yes, yes. So then finishing the gemology course at GIA, I decided to do a course at HRD. HRD is a renowned uh, gemologist. He studies in Belgium for diamonds. So I went to Belgium. Within two years, I did about eight trips. And I finalized courses, I know, <laughs> three courses. And the focus on those courses is rough diamond, rough diamond sorting and planning. Right. And plan the cut and the quality, the color of the complexity of the four C's. Right. And then following through, I also learned rough diamond management, which right. is my, the goal for my office. It's to mine diamonds ethically, correctly in observing the works of the miners, of the people that are really digging and they're taking the diamonds out and being a more investment aspect for, for the progress of those people. Uh, I'm glad you bring it up because obviously nowadays, a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks, I mean, they're very much concerned about, 
you know, what the product comes from, being it, you know, coffee beans or cotton, you know, products or diamonds, where again, it's a multi-gazillion dollar industry. And obviously after seeing, you know, you know, documentaries and movies, you know, depicting those horrible, horrible, horrible things happening around, you know, mining those diamonds and uh, the whole process of how they're being mined, you know, illegally, you know, child labor, you know, slave labor, what have you. Uh, a lot of abuse, obviously, for those folks, as a minimum abuse, sometimes it's like physical extermination of the opposition sides, you know, just all trying to gain control over those diamond mines. So it's a very lengthy trip, you know, from from the mine somewhere in um, in Africa all the way down to the 44th Street, you know, Diamond District in, in New York City. So I would like you to talk to, to the audience and speak about your pretty extensive experiences uh, of traveling to Africa specifically. So yes, ahead. absolutely. So after finishing my, tra- my, my studies in Antwerp, and Antwerp, just to going back and give a little history, is the capital of diamond cutting from 1400. So they started wow. the cutting of diamonds in 1400. 700 then, years. Yeah, 700, so really that's why when you mentioned about the mayor and they're having that proudness that even though it's a small town, is quite powerful. It is just a, a beautiful, beautiful. Well, between the shipping industry, because they have again either the first or the large or the second largest port in in Europe. Yes. To you know again the diamond industry. I mean they have absolutely incredible history. So I, I could totally understand the pride of, of the mayor and the, the the CEO of the port authority of the city of Antwerp. Uh, you know in, in the pride they're taking in in the accomplishments that they have over achieved over years and decades and centuries, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah I, I'm glad that you had that experience. Yeah, it was great. So then I also decided to travel to different countries to find about the miners to acquire partnership, which I'm still on, on the process of doing so with the right miners, the right location where the diamonds come from. So last year I had uh, an amazing adventure flying to Uganda in Africa wow. uh, to meet uh, the miners and the rush and the, the powerful people there just to see how we can incorporate my company here with them and in a philanthropic or not just into capitalism way because they so need help from the side of the world. And uh, well, yeah, those, those countries, they have natural resources to offer. They don't really have financial uh, means exactly. uh, in most cases to provide you know, research, you know, uh, development of those projects uh, and also security, you know, because security detail, it's a huge issue between so many gangs, you know, and rivalry uh, fractions, which are ripping those countries apart. I mean, it's extremely important to have the financial backup. So that's why they're always looking for, for the companies looking to take a stake sometimes at the cost of uh, offering some kind of percentage in the equity stake in those uh, enterprises in those mines uh, but at least that will allow them to keep operating the way that they plan yes and absolutely it was wonderful we met some people in the parliament then in the future we can uh, do few further things for their citizens as well as the mining and also in brazil being a brazilian by birth before we jump to brazil which is another fascinating obviously place to visit that a lot of people would love to you know see one day uh, unless they already have seen them uh, but, but I remember you sharing with me your experience of traveling to some places in Uganda or other places in Africa. 
and, and some of them being uh, unsafe to the level where you really had to hire a personal bodyguard, you know, just to be on the safe side. Because look, I mean, it's a normal precaution for anyone who is not local, especially being, you know, a, a beautiful lady that you are, you know, and, you know, having responsibilities in life. You have your mom in this life that you are taking care of. Uh, you have your son, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, speak about that for a few minutes, if you will. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the traveling in going to the country in the search of uh, specific stones, because the way I, I, I predict my collection is to acquire the best stones in the world. Ethically. Give, us some give us some names, because obviously everybody knows, you know, diamonds and sapphires, uh, but, but those Dice are fires, commonly probably used, you know, gems. But I mean, you have the whole collection. I visited your showroom more than once, and you showed me some of those beautiful uh, things. I don't know if you have any samples. Uh, I actually got some from Congo, and I can show you. Let me just take this down here. All right, some really beautiful, gigantic. What is that stone, Anna? This is the rough. This is a rough fluorite. Right. This can definitely be polished and uh, just made into a statue. Is it, is it considered to be semi-precious? Semi-precious. Yeah, because the size, I mean, the size of your the fist. Size is gigantic. <laughs> so this is a, a pink crystal. So it's a quartz. Right. So also from Congo, in terms of the rough mining. This is How a, did you enjoy Congo? Um, one of my doctor clients, she actually worked there. She's mm -hmm. a doctor and she worked through one of the government agencies and she actually visited pretty much the whole world. I mean, 140 plus countries, which is absolutely fascinating. She says Congo is definitely, you know, on the top of the list when it comes down to Africa. It's absolutely unique. She was telling me about her experience, you know, with, uh, you know, the local folks, you know, to the wildlife, you know, the trips to safari, you know, the interaction with gorillas. I mean, just absolutely incredible experience. Yes, and absolutely. And also 12 other different stones that are as worthy and as price as diamonds. So those types of stones, of, yes. Of the Congo area, Congo, right? Congo. Congo area is super rich, very, very fascinating. So on this long run, we get to develop different jewelry with their stones, as well as diamonds, and then also the metal, gold, silver, platinum, rhodium. They're also coming from that area in the Congo. It's amazing that just one country that offers such a huge, extensive spectrum of precious, semi-precious stones, you know, precious metals, just one country. Absolutely, Gene. It's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's exciting. The world, you know, as it seems, is one thing in one side of the world, another thing in another side of the world. All we pretty much have to do is compromise with each other and share. So yeah, come to terms. Yeah, we don't need to cut heads to each other. You know, we need to come no, to terms. No, it's enough. Come to Life terms. Life is going to be so much more fun. Yeah, when the people have more, you know, more jobs, they can create, you know, cash flow, you know, stream for themselves to take care of their families, you know, and enjoy today and more importantly tomorrow. Yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, very, very, very. very well, and Paul, again, I, I know that's your philosophy. I, I applaud it, and God bless. You know, out of your mouth into God's ears. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Let's speak about your motherland, if you will, and, uh, and one of the most exotic destinations in the world, which is Brazil. I mean, such a huge country, you know, with absolutely incredible population, but more importantly, applied to your line of business, Anapola, it's, uh, it's a place of so many wonderful stones and metals. So please, let's talk about it. Yes, yes, absolutely. So being from Brazil and learning the history of Brazil, Brazil like Belgium also being super powerful in the diamond trading back 1970s. That's far back. 
gas had such a, a strong hold in the diamond sector in the world. Do Somehow along the ways, we lost they, it. Do they have like a center, like in Belgium, it's Antwerp, which is a tiny city, but I mean, that's a center of the diamond industry. So when you speak about Brazil and, uh, you know, is it Sao Paulo, is it Brasilia? I mean, what is the, the, the place in Brazil, you would say, which is the, the concentration of the diamond industry? I mean, do they I have think any- Minas Gerais, Jean, Minas Gerais, because they, they, they have uh, many, many mines around, which Minas Gerais, the, the translation to English, the name of the state is ge general mining. Okay. So the area of Brazil is very, very similar to what Congo is in certain aspect, which meaning the geological uh, floor under the earth has a lot of richness, a lot of metals, a lot of different stones that is unlikely in any other country. So Brazil do have quantity, quality, and everything above and beyond. But somehow for the human values and political ideology, Brazil lost each, each place on the empire. But I'll tell you a funny story. When I graduated from GIA, I met the son of Rappaport, Eli Rappaport. Right. And he gave a nice talk about all the countries and what we're going to be doing after becoming gemologists out there in the world. And he mentioned everyone, India, Russia, Canada, Australia. Multiple African countries, but not Brazil. He didn't mention Brazil whatsoever. So I approached him at the end of the, of, of the graduation. We had a little meeting, a little drinks. And then I said, excuse me, Mr. Rappaport. Why didn't you mention Brazil? I'm feeling offended. I'm from Brazil. So right. he read my name and he's like, so Anna Paula, and then he gave me a smack on my shoulder. Maybe that's your job to make that happen again, because for now we cannot trust Brazil. So it's, it's yeah, when it comes down to development of the region and the country as a whole, obviously it's an economic backbone, you know, and if the country, the government is not willing to provide the funding for that infrastructure development, then again, yeah. they're looking for the foreign investments. And when it comes down to the people from outside the country, which are looking to put, to put their money where their mouth is, I mean, they obviously don't have that comfort level because of political instability, I guess, of the country. Uh, and that pulls back the whole thing where again, millions and, and millions, tens of millions of people actually, uh, you know, of, of, of population Brazil, they could benefit tremendously if that was changing. So ultimately it's kind of, you know, Cash 22, you know, what needs to be done, how soon it can be done to, to make sure that, again, the people from outside Brazil, they do have confidence in, in tomorrow so they can bring the money and start, you know, funding development of those types of infrastructures. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And I do have that, that faith. I do believe in Brazil. That's why I'm still uh, planning to go back and acquire my contacts with the miners in local, even with the Indian tribes. They're going through some difficulties now but they are on top of the biggest kimberlite deposit of diamonds in the planet. And we're talking on about- the Indian lands you're talking about? Indian lands, and it belongs to the, to the Brazilian government. So the Indians, they cannot mine themselves and no one else can. So my- It's a shame, which is such an opposite, you know, way of how the, 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 the Indian nations here in the US, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they operate their lands. If that's their land, that's their land and whatever is not the land. That's their land, every penny in revenue, which is generated either through, you know, mining or putting, you know, casinos like we have in, uh, 
mm-hmm. you know, Nevada and Colorado, those right. Western states, or, you know, here in our backyard, Connecticut, for example, you're looking at all those fancy, you know, casinos, which are built on the Indian lands. I, I mean, the people, the residents of those uh, areas, they, they, they're multimillionaires because they're generating such an incredible amount of revenue. Mm-hmm. And the government cannot take anything away from them because that's their land. So it's uh, it's very unfortunate that again, uh, mm-hmm. whatever population, Indian indigenous population of Brazil, they cannot enjoy the same very benefits uh, that their you know brethren and sisters here in the U.S. have been enjoying for you know for basically a long, long time. Right, and that's one of the reasons why I'm traveling again to see if I can open doors and maybe be of help somehow uh, for the Indians as. Um, not political, but just uh, as an investor from overseas, from the United States, and believe on the on the land and what the the diamonds that we can get and the products that we can work together from the tribes in Brazil, because they're so rich, so rich of uh, of everything, a lot of knowledge as the well. Natural, the natural, yeah, the natural resources, but more importantly, again, it's part of the history. I think when somebody is buying a diamond or in a piece uh, of art made out of precious metal. It's a nice thing. And that's what I think separates you from many other people in the business. And that's why I liked your story so much because, you know, technically everybody can walk into, you know, Kmart or Target, uh, you know, jewelry department say, hey, you know, it's a nice ring, I'm gonna get it. But there is no story. So to me, it would be an empty, you know, an empty kind of gift, you know, uh, that, that a person would want to give to somebody when you meet with a client that walks into your showroom, or I know that a lot of business uh, over the last few months because of COVID, you know, restrictions, traveling restrictions and the shutdowns. Uh, a lot of people, they conduct business with you online directly. So you really would like to get to know the person and the final recipient being the fiance or, you know, the mother or the wife, you know, the anniversary ring. So you would like to hear more about the recipient. You would like to hear the story. And in this way, in this manner, you can really customize that uh, jewelry, not just to be a diamond on the on some pressure, on a piece of precious metal, but it's going to be a an artwork really, you know, customized to that specific person and having some some kind of story behind it. So I think that that's wonderful. And I would like you to speak from that standpoint, how you interact with the clients and how you custom tailor every pretty much product that you offer and bring to them uh, ultimately. Yes, absolutely. I think after having my experience in the hospitality business and studying the Gemology Institute and going forward and see where we have the approach right now on the street of 47th Street for right. the Diamond District, that extra touch of being more kind, more caring, more listening to the client, taking my time, as I, as I grow eventually, my, my goal is definitely to have a place that's very comfortable for, for the fiance to come, have a glass of champagne while we're deciding which stone to, to design the ring. And it would be so, so romantic. I, I feel that it's just a special touch. And that's something that I actually also learned from Mr. Rappaport himself, is that in this time of uncertainty, because we're not sure what is going on in our planet due to pandemic, financial instability, is that we know people celebrate birthdays. We know people get married, babies are gonna be born. Things are still gonna be great to reward each other. So that's my, my difference, my talent in the field 
as a diamond tear right now is that I bring that touch that I can be of listening and understanding as well as selecting the best material to show my clients, the best stones, make sure that we have design, I have a designing team that works with me, that we can design a piece from custom made, just from a thought. The bride has an idea, she wants the specific jewelry, the specific diamond. We are able to do it that way. We're able to recut the diamond, make the diamond in a different shape. We're able to use a, a modified cut from my friends in Belgium that I also represent a specific uh, Frank Fabek that has created a, a different cut that is 161 facets in the diamond. That's incredible. In the usual diamond, as everyone knows, is 50, 58, 57, 58. It's more than triple. It's actually more the, than triple. Speaking about gets, the lack yeah, of complexity yeah. and sophistication, I mean, the eye that you need to have, you know, the arm that you need to have, you know, just to cut those diamonds. But you actually cut some diamonds yourself, right, Anna? Well, I did a little polishing course, and it is something really fascinating that I hope eventually to do more of it, you know, and uh, we are actually planning to put a wheel in my my showroom on 47th Street that we can actually cut the diamond, recut the diamond, fix the diamonds if the client comes. So it can be something that um, all the other jewelers on the block can benefit as well. I think that would create an additional level of excitement and uh, and really even more personalized approach that you have been so famous to deliver, you know, to your customers when you when you offer yet that addition to your existing extensive spectrum of services provided to the clients. Absolutely. Uh, we were restricted as far as time, but before we wrap it up, uh, Anna Paula, if you have some uh, jewelry pieces that you mm -hmm. personally designed, you know, and developed in house, uh, I would like you to share with our audience because I find them pretty fascinating. I mean, and again, every piece has a story. I, I still remember that beautiful artwork you showed me, that, that dragon, right? Which again, uh, yeah, that's really beautiful. Asian clientele, but also, you know, pretty much anyone who appreciates beautiful art. So that, that was absolutely breathtaking. Yes, absolutely, Gene. And also I just want to show it one of the drawings. It's a piece that we have designed. It's called the Dubai Palm Tree. So yeah, that, named that, after the famous what, development in Dubai, you know, Dubai. where I was in Dubai last year also. Multi-millionaires, yeah, they buy condos. Really, really beautiful. And also let me just uh, show here also a picture of the Munakra diamond yeah. cut, which is a cut yeah. I represent from Belgium. Yeah. That's yeah. the one with the 161 facets. Right. And um, show you some pieces here. We have this fascinating shower of ring it's a it's a diamond ring with 44 diamonds it's so massive and it's a custom design that i've done so as you can see well lucky lucky is the lady who is going to be a happy recipient of this beautiful mountain of diamond you have small blue diamond right. and an engagement ring so lovely. Got some, this is a turmalina that was rough. So we polished it and then have a touch here at the end of one diamond. Right. Turmalina pendant. Here goes some delicate 
necklaces. Yeah, very nice. Yes. Are those diamonds as uh, well? That lady. Oh, those are all diamonds. Yes, absolutely. You go all white diamonds. And we also have, you can see this one. It's a, it's a pink diamond pendant. It's stunning. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Uh, like a mandala with 16 yep. baguette diamonds around. Yes. I actually had a pleasure seeing it in person, that piece, but even on screen, it comes across as a very powerful, you know, and very appealing artwork. Definitely beautiful. Okay. And then, but Tanya has custom made any design a person wants in uh, the cuts as well. Right. Uh, we'll be having a new collection for the Love Little Dragon coming up. We're working on that as well. And other things that our shop does also for the rappers and right. the celebrities. We do grills for the teeth as well, the diamonds. They're becoming and, more and more popular, yeah. Yeah, so we get the it. Rappers, yeah. you know, the rappers and celebrities and men's ring. This is made with amber, so. And so, so you're really providing a full service spectrum full of service, yeah, jewelry, jewelry yeah. and gems, you know, in different kind of, yeah. Many different designs and beautiful, beautiful. Um, and also in our website, uh, www it's still in works, but it will right. come soon. But also on Facebook, we are very present. We have a page, Botani Hasco Diamonds, and we'll be adding our new collection there and looking forward and to- Wonderful. And uh, if the people would like to get in touch with you through email or telephone number, and Paula, you want to stay there, we're going to post them on the on the links below, uh, you know, once we launch this interview on YouTube channel, obviously. But if you want to state it right now, please go ahead. Yes, absolutely. If you want to reach me through the email, my email is Botani Enterprises at gmail.com or send me a text or a phone call at 646-242-1434. I would help you with any way, anything, any jewelry you fix, any estate jewelry you'd like to make it again or any design that you have in your head and you wanted to present someone, we can definitely deliver that. You can put, you, you can take a dream and turn it into reality. Turn it into reality. Well, gold, Anna, I, know, gold and diamonds. <laughs> I know your suitcases are getting packed as we speak by, by your staff. True. You're, ready, you're ready to leave on your trip. I do hope you're going to have a very safe flight. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, connect when you're back to, to the U.S. All right. But in the meantime, again, thank you so much for coming to join us. I definitely enjoyed this conversation. Have a safe trip uh, and best wishes. All right. Oh, thank you very much, Gene. Thank, thank you for you the so much, Take care. Stay well. Stay well. Take care. Thank you.